You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. We're going to talk about facing the opposition this afternoon. Last week we talked about strong to the finish and we were referring to Joseph. Joseph was strong to the finish. He lived to be 110 years of age. The first 18 years of his life were pretty tough. Learned some good lessons. Spent the next about 12 years of his life in a real hard place. Spent time in jail for something he didn't do. Spent time serving as a slave. It was rough. He learned a lot. He graduated from prison from Desert University and he served for the next 80 years of his life as one of the, the second in command of Egypt. That's an amazing feat. He held the course, stayed strong, didn't fall to corruption. An amazing story. From that, we learned a lot how we could be strong to the finish. If you missed that lesson, it's on online. You can go there and listen to it online, get the notes there. Today, we're looking at another individual by the name of Nehemiah. Nehemiah faced opposition in his life when he set out to do something. So we're going to learn how we should respond when we get opposition in our life. If you want to do something besides just coast through life, besides just drifting downstream and living complacently, if you decide to do something, you're going to face opposition. You might have faced opposition in high school when you said, I'm going to university. And the other other high school friends said, what are you going to university for? And you got opposition there. You may have got opposition when you wanted to step out and start your own company. You got opposition. Or maybe you got opposition when you became a Christian. Friends said, what are you doing becoming a Christian? You got opposition in different areas of your life. Nehemiah is an amazing leader. He is textbook. They studied Nehemiah for leadership principles. Today we'll extract some of the principles. He faced opposition, and we can take those principles, apply them to our lives when we, we, we face opposition. Number one, Nehemiah secured his God connection. This is the foundation. You've got to get this point right. If you don't have your God connection, when opposition comes your way, you're going to fail in the day of adversity. But if you get your God connection and stay online, right now we have a Wi-Fi cafe. If you've got your BlackBerry here or your iPhone, you can go online. You've got free internet connection. I shouldn't have told you that, but that's actually free right now. You could be Googling, surfing the internet while I speak if you like. It's all free. You have a free online connection. Now, if you walk down the street, you're going to lose that connection, right? Because you're out of distance. The same thing can happen with God. We can distance ourselves from God and we can lose the connection with God. When you step out to do something, you're going to get opposition. When you get opposition, you do not want to lose your God connection. You don't want to unplug from God. If you unplug from God, it's you against the opposition. But if you stay connected to God, then it's God and you versus the opposition. Nehemiah faces some incredible opposition, but through it all, there's a thread. He prays. He keeps his God connection as a result of it. In 52 days, he rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem. It is so astounding. The rest of his enemies, the people that oppose him said, God is with him. And really, that's what we should be praying. God, work through my life. Let it be so miraculous that when people see it, they say, there's no way that woman, there's no way that man could have done it. There's no way that team could have done it. Surely God is with them. That's the way we should be praying. That way God gets the glory for it. And that's what happened to Nehemiah. So number one, you've got to keep your God connection strong. If you are a Nehemiah, look at Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4. It says here, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. What made Nehemiah weep? What made him weep? He's in Babylon. The people have been taken captive earlier, brought into this other country. The people in the homeland in Jerusalem, 
The wall of their city was broken down. That meant at any time, horses could ride in, men could ride in. There was murder, rape, stealing, open reproach. It was a disaster. As a result of it, he gets news from his brothers, and it makes him cry. John Maxwell, who's an amazing teacher on leadership, he said, if you will tell me what you cry about, if you tell me what you laugh about, if you tell me what you dream about, I will tell you what you're about. So, Nehemiah cried over the city of Jerusalem. What makes you cry? What makes you weep? If I drive down Cordova Street, sometimes we take that route heading out of town. If I drive down Cordova Street, there will be girls there, maybe 12 years of age, who are prostitutes. I tear up when I go by there. It's just like something grips me. It makes me cry. I just think this is somebody's girl. And I don't want to think what's happening to them. Are they on drugs? How did they get here? And you just, it just grips you. It makes you cry. Nehemiah, like that, is weeping over his city. And he's, he's moved by compassion. Our cause is related to what we weep about. Our cause is related to what we deeply care about. And Nehemiah deeply, deeply cares for Jerusalem. And as a result of it, he goes to pray. And he starts with worship. There's a pattern for prayer in Nehemiah. The Bible makes it clear that the fervent, effectual prayer of the righteous avails much. The opposite would be the true as well. If you're not fervent and if you're not effective, your prayers won't avail much. Is it possible to be praying and not a lot happening? Yeah. Is it sometimes a reflection of the way we're praying? Yeah. That's why the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Because it's possible to be praying and not praying correctly. And so here is an example from Nehemiah on how to pray effectively. Number one, start with worship. The first thing he does when he goes into prayer is he worships God. You find that in verse number five, where he says, I pray, Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant mercy with those who you love. You observe your commandments. Cheryl mentioned earlier, you don't just have to worship on Sunday. When the, when the band's singing, worship should be a part of our life. We should be worshiping during the week. You can put on your favorite music. You don't have to have music. You can worship in different ways, but worship should be a part of our life. Worship is the protocol to prayer. When the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray, he started with this. Our Father, which art in heaven, the next part is? Hallowed be your name. What's that? That's worship. So what is the protocol to prayer? We begin with worship. Even though there's a great urgency in Jerusalem, Nehemiah walks in the presence of God, and he says, first thing I do is I worship you. Great, awesome God. He starts with worship. In your prayer, in your God connection, when you sign on to the Internet, isn't there a certain protocol to get on? Doesn't it ask you for a password? Doesn't it ask you for this or that? And then you're logged on. If you skip the protocol and just say, no, I don't want to do that, it's very difficult to log on. The same thing with God. When you, quote, unquote, kind of log in, you log in with worship. Does that make sense? So, so to speak, Nehemiah is logging in. He's, he's connecting with God through worship. Why do we have worship first in the service? What's the purpose of it? Oh, we want a couple songs, and that way by the time we're done singing, everybody in the church, and we're done. (laughs) No, no. Sometimes you think that's what it is. That's not what it is. The worship period is for us to log in, to connect. It opens up our heart. It, It keeps this connection strong. Then, thirdly, he prays the word. He says, remember what you said to Moses. 
To pray effectively, pray God's word. God, this is what you've spoken. If we pray according to his will, then we know that he's heard us. What is his will? This is his will. So strong prayers, effective prayers are praying his word. Nehemiah prays God's word. He reminds God of what he said to Moses. He prays the word. He's not praying the problem. Sometimes in our, in our prayer time, oh, God, it's so bad, it's so terrible, it's so terrible. Oh, Lord, look what my, this person's done to me. My boss did this, they did that, and they did this. You're getting tired of it, so does God. God says, please, stop irritating me. Praying the problem... It's not effective. Pray God's word. He could have been there. Oh, God, it's so bad in Jerusalem. Oh, look at my brother. He prays the word. He wept for them, but he's not praying the problem. He's praying the word. Then he had prayer partners. 1 verse 11, it says, he was praying, and the, and the prayers of your servants. To fervent, effectual prayers. I can't just be praying by myself. I've got to say, Frank, can you agree with me? Can you pray with me? The Bible says, if two or three agree on earth is touching any one thing, it shall be done for them by their fathers in heaven. So to effectual prayer, we need to, hey, Ray, can you agree with me? And Frank, we're praying over this one. So there's prayer and agreement in your life group. Let's get together to pray. In your family, you get together to pray. Nehemiah was not a lone ranger. He had other people praying for him. This is his God connection. To the rest of this lesson, opposing, dealing with opposition, this is huge. You have to have this nailed down. And then lastly, he prayed specifically. Nehemiah, when he got before the king, he started in December. He prayed until April. He didn't quit. In your prayers, no quitting sense. You can't quit. You stay with him. Keep praying. April comes along. He's before the king. The king looks at him and says, Nehemiah, you don't look very happy. Nehemiah, you're having a bad hair day. What is going on? It's like working for Disneyland. He's paid to smile. He's a cup bearer. He presents something to the cup, a cup to the king. You're supposed to be happy. You counsel the king. You, you're, on your, you're on your A game every day before the king. And the king says, you're not on your A game. What is going on, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah says, oh, I'm, I'm, my heart's heavy for the people back in Jerusalem. The king says, well, what would you like me to do? At that point, this huge, Nehemiah doesn't say, Hmm, you know what? Let me think about that. It's a good question, king. I don't know. No, Nehemiah, right then and there, he says, right away, he says, king, I need some time off. He prayed specifically. He was praying for time off. Have you ever asked for time off at your workplace? Boss, can I have an extra couple days off? That's what Nehemiah says. Hey, can I have some time off? The king says, okay, you're a great servant. You can have some time off. How much would you like? 12 years. 12 years, I don't know. You've got to pray to get 12 years off, trust me. 12 years off. Now, it doesn't say 12 years in there, but if you do the math, you figure it out it's 12 years. And Nehemiah gets 12 years off from work. That's pretty good. The king says, okay, 12 years off. What else would you like? He says, well, I would like, um, I'd like a passport with a visa stamped for every country that I'm going to be going through. The king says, all right, we'll get you your passport. What else would you like? He says, well, I'd like a letter to your forest. I need a lot of lumber. Can I have an open letter, open credit account to your Revy store over there? He says, absolutely. You have an open account at my Revy store over in Jerusalem. Get all, all the stuff that you want over there. And so he, he prayed specifically. He prayed expectantly. Now, 
in our prayers, our God connection. Take Nehemiah's example and apply it to your prayer life. And when opposition comes, you'll have that God connection to stand against your opposition. Number two, he did his due diligence. Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem, takes about a month to get there. When he gets there, he begins to inspect the situation. We can read that in chapter 2, verses 12 to 16. Nehemiah goes and he begins to inspect the walls. He goes at nighttime by himself and he looks around and he sees the damage. Damage here, damage over there, damage to this gate, damage to the valley gate, damage to the dung gate. Apparently they had a dung gate where dung left the city. And they had all these other gates. And he went through and he inspects it all. And he says, okay, I now I have my inspection. Important point. In life, when we step up to do something, there's a practical side as well as a spiritual side. He did his due diligence. He was about to make a radical announcement. But he took time to examine the situation. He didn't do this flippantly. He was thinking it through, working every step through. And then, thirdly, he went public with the vision. In verse number 17, then I said to them, he's saying to the people, you see the distress that we are in. He identified with the people how Jerusalem lies waste. Its gates are burnt with fire. Come and let us. It's not about him. It's about them doing it together. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. He goes public with it. Verse 18. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's word that he had spoken to me. So, the, so they said, let us rise, build, rise up and build. Then they set their hand to do this good work. Verse 19. But when Sam battled the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they laughed us to scorn, and they despised us. What is this thing that you're doing? So he goes public with the vision. The people say, let's rise up. Now, you will not, now this is a very important point. You will not get any opposition when it's just a dream. Even when you're doing your due diligence and you're checking, do I go to this school or that school? Do I start this business or that business? Do I get involved here or there? There's not a lot of opposition. But when you announce your vision, when you declare, we will rebuild the walls. Then the opposition comes. When you rise up, when you say, okay, we're going to do it. All of a sudden, you stick out. All of a sudden, you get people's attention. You get attention when you say, if you're an undercover Christian, nobody really knows it. But when you rise up and say, I'm getting baptized. All of a sudden, you what? Nobody's gotten baptized in our family. What are you doing getting baptized? And you're, you're going against the status quo and you say, we need to make a change here. Maybe in your building you need to make a change. Maybe you're going to start a company. Maybe you're going to do something different or whatever it is that you're, you feel all of a sudden opposition. It doesn't happen when you don't rise up, but when you rise up. Because when you rise up, you know what people want to do? Sit down. You make me nervous. You rise up. Sit down. You threaten me up there. You rise up. Sit down. We don't want to change. Don't ruffle anything. Just leave it the way it is. The walls have been broken for a long time. They're going to get upset if you rebuild the walls. Don't do this. But when you rise up, because people sometimes, they just like you to be down. 
I'm down, so you please be down. Matter of fact, get even lower than I am so that I can't see you. That's it. Get way down. Don't rise up. Just get way down. We had a speaker come to business by the book in January. When she was a little girl, they gave her the wrong treatment. As a result, she lost her vision. Her vision didn't fade immediately. Over the years, it began to go. And she had put herself in front of the television, and she watched the Olympics. She was watching the Olympics. She said she had to get inches away from the TV screen, but she watched the Olympics, and she thought, I will be an Olympic athlete. I will rise up. I will be an Olympic athlete. They said, sit down. You're blind. You can't be an Olympic athlete. No, I will rise up. I'll be an Olympic athlete. No, you can't be an Olympic athlete. She said, no, no, I will rise up. She had a God connection. She rose up. She's recognized in our city. She's recognized in her province. She's won numerous gold medals. She's competed around the world. She holds a, a record for shot put and discus. She's a blind athlete. She rose up. We have many that rose up that will compete in our Paralympics. Rose up against opposition. You can't do that. You can't come to Canada and immigrate there and get a job. Some of you rose up to come to this land. They said, no, no, stay in your country. You can't leave your little shack. You can't leave your country. You can't go there. Sit down. But you rose up. And there was no opposition until you said, I will rise up. It comes when you announce the vision. And that's when Sam Ballard shows up and Tobias show up, symbolic of Satan, and he tries to stop you. Now remember this. He wants your faith. What he wants more than anything is for you to disconnect. Because if he can get you to disconnect, it's over. So we start with chapter 1. It's huge. It's important. Because in order to accomplish what God's put in our heart to do, we must, be dis- we must be connected with him and with one another. So, number four, if we're taking notes, we have to answer the opposition. In verse 20, when Sam Bellot showed up, laughed at him, Nehemiah answers them. Verse 20, so I answered them, and I said to them, You're right, Sam Ballad. You're right. I will go home. I will go back to Babylon. I will never bother you again. Do you think that's what Nehemiah said? No. They were trash-talking him, laughing him, scorning at him. But he stands up and he says, Listen, here's the deal. Verse 20. The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we as servants will arise and build. But you have no heritage, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. You're telling us to leave? It's not your city. It's our city. I'm not leaving. If God be for me, who can be against me? David said to Goliath, the battle belongs to the Lord. Goliath, you're not just missing with a little shepherd board. Boy, you're missing with God. And that's what he's saying to Sam Bell. He's saying, God's for me. God's hand is on this. And you have no right. You have no stake. You have no claim in Jerusalem. You have no claim to my family. You have no claim to my marriage. You have no claim to my money. You have no claim to my kids. You have got no claim to my job. You got no claim to my business. You have no claim to my church. You got no claim in our city. You have no claim on it. Leave it alone. I don't know if you watched the Super Bowl. In America, they get it. We don't get it here. The ads, they say more people watch the Super Bowl for the commercials than for the game. By a ratio of 52 to 48. I read it in USA Today. And anyhow, I called 
or a friend of mine sent me the ads for the Super Bowl. And Doritos had an ad for it. There was one ad that I really liked because this little boy in the ad faces the opposition. You're really going to like it. Let me show you this little ad from the Doritos about a boy facing the opposition. Hi. Oh, thank you. Have a seat. Kyle, Jalen. Jalen, Kyle. Jalen, you play nice. I'll be right back. What's going on, little man? I see you got your game skills down, Pac. You might have your hands full once I'll pick up the control, little man. Put it back. Keep your hands on my mama. Keep your hands on my Doritos. Jalen, are you playing nice? <laughs> now, let me ask you, what's important to a little boy? His mama and his food. Don't touch my mom and don't touch my Doritos. <laughs> That's Nehemiah in Jerusalem. Don't you touch my city. My God's for me. Leave it alone. Don't touch my mama. Don't touch my Doritos. <laughs> you got to answer the opposition. You got to say something. Now, we don't wrestle flesh and blood, but we do wrestle principalities, powers, rulers of darkness. The Bible says resist it. Resist it. Speak to it. So, number five. Don't quit in the face of mockery. You would think after that that Sam Ballad and Tobiah would just leave them alone, but they don't. They come back. The wall's being built. In verse 1, chapter 4, it so happened when Sam Ballad heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he thought they'd leave. They didn't. He was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. He said they called them feeble. They said if a fox jumped on it, it would fall down. This is called trash talking. He's trash talking them. Now, it would be normal, right, to trash talk back. I don't know if you've ever played sports, but when somebody trash talks you, you just get right back in their head. You try to throw them off their game. But that's not the Bible way. The Bible way is not to throw mud back. If they throw mud at you, if you throw mud back, you just get dirty hands. If they have the disease of speaking evil about you, don't catch their disease because it's a disease. It will cripple you. Nehemiah doesn't talk evil about them. He goes back to his God connection, and he goes back to prayer. The Bible says, do not repay evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. It says to pray for those who despitefully use you. That's the way you beat this thing. Because opposition will come. There will be people that will speak against you. When you step out to do something, you rise up to do something in your life, they will speak. And sometimes it's people that you don't expect. Sometimes it's people that are close to you, that it hurts you. Because they, they have trouble with your rising up. They'd much rather have you down there than rise up. But don't speak evil. Look what Nehemiah does in chapter 4. Verse 4. He goes back to prayer. His God connection. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder in the land of captivity. What's he doing? He's saying, Lord... Judgment's up to you, not up to me. Vengeance is up to the Lord, not up to me. I'm not going to judge him. I'm not capable of being a judge. God, you are. So I give them over to you. You're a God of love. You're a God of forgiveness. I give them over to you. I choose not to do that. I give them into your hands. That's how we face opposition. That's how you overcome. That's how you get the walls rebuilt supernaturally in 52 days. Wow. I don't know what you're facing. 
some huge things, challenges, opposition. Nehemiah, folks, this is, this is like a secret code. This is like an ancient secret that we're unraveling today on how to overcome opposition and get it done in, a, in an amazing amount of time and God be glorified. Nehemiah gives us a recipe here for it. Uh, then in verse 9, they come at him again. They're discouraging them big time. And uh, he encourages them to stay in prayer. Now, with discouragement, we want to look beyond the problem. Number six, if you're taking notes. See what no one sees or see what people refuse to see. They become discouraged because you would think after all that that Samballad and Tobiah would just say, okay, we're not going to bug you anymore. But they do. They come back and they bug them some more and they get discouraged. I've been discouraged in life and you've been discouraged in life. When somebody says I'm discouraged, this is usually the problem. We take our eyes off of the Lord, off of the solution, and we put our eyes on the problem. And when we put our eyes on the problem, instead of putting our eyes on the solution, courage leaves us and we become discouraged. But if we focus on our Lord, if we focus on the solution, courage comes. Remember what God said to Joshua? Have I not what? Commanded you, be strong and courageous. Then he went on to say, but do not let this depart from my sight. Not your problem. Don't let my word depart from your sight. Woo. See, when people come up for prayer and they say, oh, I'm so discouraged. Right away, this is no great spiritual insight or no great revelation. But when they say, I'm so discouraged, we know right then and there that they're looking at their problem. They're not focusing on God's word. God's word brings courage. Focusing on the problem brings discouragement. There's a cute movie called Patch Adams. Patch Adams admits himself to a mental institute. He's there. He looks around. He says, you know what? These people, I'm learning a lot from them. I'm going to go back, become a doctor. I'm going to come serve them. Becomes a doctor. University thinks he's crazy because he's what? He's rising up. He's, doing, he's, he's going against the status quo. He goes there. The medical institute doesn't know what to do with him. He rises up, but he learns from them. In one scene, he's with one of the patients, and the patient teaches him how to look past the problem to the solution. Take a look at this little clip. It'll give you insight into what we're talking about. How many do you see? There are four fingers, aren't there? No, no, no. Look at me. What? You're focusing on the problem. If you focus on the problem, you can't see the solution. Never focus on the problem. Look at me. How many do you see? No. Look beyond the fingers. How many do you see? Eight. 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 Yes, yes. Eight's a good answer. Yes. See what no one else sees. See what everyone else chooses not to see. Out of fear, conformity, laziness. See the whole world anew each day. Now the truth is you're well on the way. You didn't see something here besides a crazy, bitter old man. He wouldn't have come in the first place.
That's a great little clip. Nehemiah refused to see what everybody else is seeing. He refused to conform, and he certainly wasn't lazy. He left an amazing job there at the palace. He was probably one of the best employed Jews of the time. And he said, I want to go down there. I want to go in the mess and the rubble. I'm not choosing to conform. I'm choosing to make a difference. He looked past it. When we face opposition, we've got to continue to look past the problem to the solution. Amen? Amen. Then, lastly, fight for the right cause. He had a cause. If your cause isn't right, you'll quit the fight. You'll back down. So examine, what am I really fighting for? Boil it down. Distill it. What's the, at the end of the day, what am I really fighting for? Nehemiah, when they were discouraged at their lowest low, he put them together as families. At the end of the day, when you have a funeral, it all becomes very clear. When you're on death's door, your priorities become really clear what you're fighting for. You're fighting for family. You're fighting for your friends. Those closest to you, that's what you're fighting for. He grouped them together in families. They stood together in families to fight when the opposition was the worst. You say, well, I'm here and I don't have family. That's why we have life groups. That's why we have this sense of community. That's who you want around you. I don't know if you caught Tiger Woods' little speech this week. Some of you might have caught that. And at one point, he says in his speech, Whatever my wrongdoings, for the sake of my family, please leave my wife and kids alone. What's he fighting for? He's fighting for his family. When he, got up, when he finished his little speech, he walked around the podium, and he went down, and a lady stood up, hugged him, and tapped his back. Was she a CEO with Nike? No. Was she connected with the Professional Golf Association? No. Who was the lady? His mom. What's he fighting for? Right now, fighting for his marriage. He's fighting for his kids. He's fighting for his family. He's taking a stand. He's opposing. He's, he's trying to fight his way out of there. When it comes down to it, we fight for our families. Amen? Amen. What are you doing? What are you conquering? What are you rising up to do? Let me ask you a question. Is family in it? That's what keeps us going. Keeping the main thing the main thing. Amen? Amen? So we learn a lot from Nehemiah. You'll rise up. We'll rise up together to do things. You may be on other teams rising up to do things. And when you do, you're going to face opposition. Most important point I can leave with you is don't disconnect. Keep your God connection strong. If our God connection is strong, we can face, we can face the opposition that we're going to encounter in life. Stay connected. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.